I've always felt that the salaries that the clubs pay players are crazy and unrealistic. The word we have tried to use so many times. We have tried not to use so many times, but we have to use again. Shame on you. This is Sports 360. Hello, everybody, once again. Welcome to Sports 360 Podcast, where we diagnose and uh, do we prefer prognosis, you hear me? <laughs> Issues around Nigerian, African, and indeed global sports. Good to have you join us. This Thursday, as always, every Thursday, Sports 360 Pod on Instagram is where you can find us. Um, my name is Dejomoto Imbo. Yemi Adesanya is here. Um, Bode Ogutu is back on the show. He was missing in action last week. Back on the show this week uh, from Dallas, Texas. So, once again, thank you, everybody, for joining us. We start today with a topic that is raging on the African continent and has far-reaching implications. And indeed, is it going to be a test case now for what's going to go forward when we talk about um, football and integrity and CAF and FIFA and all of that. Um, it's about the crisis currently um, going on in the Football Federation in Kenya. They call it the uh, Football Kenya Federation. I wonder why they always try to do <laughs> Football FKF, Football Kenya Federation. Uh, Nick Moenda, the president of that organization has just been released on bail. Well, he's been granted bail. I don't know whether he's met the bail conditions. He's been granted bail after spending the weekend uh, in prison. He was arrested on Friday, and that's the background. Um, he was arrested after the sports minister in that country, Amina Mohammed, disbanded the football house on allegations of corruption, set up a caretaker committee, and that has set that country on a collision course with FIFA. Of course, FIFA has come up with the customary, uh, sent the letter and also warning them about uh, uh, interference and all of that. And it's becoming a conundrum in world football. So let me start with Bodhi, who is our in-house expert on all things Af- Nigerian and African football. Bodhi, it's getting to a point where FIFA's stance on integrity issues is beginning to uh, collide with their usual stance on interference issues. Here you have a government saying or alleging, I mean, nobody has been found, alleging that the football house could not account for monies government gave them. And because of that, they are trying to take what they call legal action. If you are being investigated, you have to step aside and somebody else has to take charge for that, for that period where you are being investigated. But here's FIFA always quick to say government interference and all of that. It's a recurring problem. Is it realistic to, on one hand, for federations across the world, particularly in Africa, collect money from government on one hand? And we've had similar cases in Nigeria. So when government asks you, can you account for these monies? Once you can't account for these monies or once there are some issues, gray areas, you say, this is government interference. Is it a realistic thing to expect government to keep funding football without any form of accountability to that same government? Honestly, every time um, uh, these cases pop up, I'm always wondering what exactly FIFA are trying to achieve. Like, like you mentioned, it has been uh, the story uh, with, um, with Nigerian governments and the Nigerian Football Federation over the years. And I remember one particular year when uh, when the um, 
when the football federation went to the house to uh, to make a case for um for budget approval they said to ask the question how can we keep giving, giving you money without asking how you spent it and then i'm not sure whether it was a response from the, the, the floor or um a response from uh, a commentator after the event that said okay you know what there is, there is a solution to this any monies that you get from fifa whether it's work up money or grants you won't ask you how you spend it but when you get money from the government you have to account for it i'm not even sure whether that comment came from someone that that uh, that has fifa connection but i know that was um, that, that was a point where it was raised that look any, any, any reasonable person will ask you to give account of how you spend his or her money. Now, here is the thing. FIFA themselves, on matters of ethics and money, we have seen them uh, punish people. We have seen, we have seen uh, those who are once members of, of um, uh, FIFA, or who are sitting members, told to step aside where they, where they are approved by the government of the country where they are situated. Mm. That is the Swiss government. Mm. And so it, it, it amuses me when, when, when it comes to Africa, and they start making noise. Also remember that any country or any official that comes under investigation um, by, by the Americans, FIFA never see, FIFA they don't see anything when the mm. Americans go after, after those individuals and they force them to step aside or, or they force them to, 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 do, uh, to, to do deal time. So how come with Africa it is, it is, it is, because if, if it's not that the suspicion that Africa is underdeveloped, underdeveloped because, because the foreigners want Africans to be underdeveloped so they could keep exploiting mm. resources from Africa. Why, why is it that when it comes to Africa, the opposite always applies where matters of morals and ethics are involved because the, the more African uh, football leaders keep uh, um, uh, keep stealing from football and keep making things difficult for people who participate in the game. The, 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 the easiest will be for Africa, for foreign clubs to plunder uh, talent from Africa without making uh, making the accurate payment. Look, we might think we might think these things are not connected, but in the long term it is because if you run football in Africa and and the and the structure are, are in place. There's no reason why if, why uh, why um, uh, um, African nations should not be making a lot of money yeah. because African talents more and more are going abroad. So I, I think there's a connection somewhere because if it's not deliberate, how come it's only Africa and Asia and some parts of Asia where people are just poor? That's all these policies that don't match with uh, with developed countries where FIFA insists that they, there's no wealth in the world. Where Africa they are accused of corruption, Africa will tell them they're interfering. We have seen it over and again, but here we are when it comes to Africa. Like we have seen cases in Nigeria, we have seen in Ghana, now we have, we have seen in Kenya, we have seen in Sierra Leone. And where will now come and say, hey, you can't. When it's matters of ethics, it's not football anymore. It has come to law. Yeah. When, it, when it comes to matters of morality, it has come from football. So if it is that, they say, oh, you know what? We don't like the coach you're hiring, you're fired. That is football. But when, some, mm-hmm. when someone takes money from that belongs to the people and spends, they should, they should, they, I, I don't think FIFA is, I don't think FIFA is they are doing right. And I think it's, it's peculiar to Africa. I think we've got to find a way to, to make it stop. Oh yeah, I mean, isn't it ironic? Okay, because CAF also voiced some concerns. But isn't it ironic that the immediate past president of CAF, Ahmad Ahmad, um, was banned because of obviously similar issues. He had some integrity, financial, uh, financial ethic issue, ethical issues, and he was asked to step aside. While he stepped aside, 
um, he couldn't contest the election and he lost his place, of course. So isn't it ironic that CAF will also now come and say, maybe in Kenya, no, to be fair, there might be government officials who want to uh, bully and intimidate and dominate. That is a possibility. But if there is an accusation, I would expect that FIFA and CAF will say, okay, we are going to watch with this. Can you give this person full opportunity to defend themselves against the allegation? Are you yourself too? Because I, part of the report said FIFA actually is also investigating the Kenyan Football Federation. Is there a case where you say, okay, we can understand that and the Kenyan sports minister actually wrote to FIFA about this situation, I think on the 18th of last month, October. I would have felt that FIFA would say, okay, we are, we are monitoring the situation. Um, can you give this person, in this case, Nick Wenda, full opportunity to defend himself and we'll see how it goes. And, but while you're being investigated, you can step aside. Why there's always this quick response to say, interference, we even without FIFA waiting to get a true picture. Because most administrators, football administrators in Africa, like Buddy said, are now using that to hide. With the moment they are being investigated, oh, uh, FIFA and all of that. Isn't it ridiculous? And even the, like Bode said, even the same FIFA in Switzerland where they are based, issues happened. People uh, had to lose their jobs. People were asked to leave. People like the president said Blatter had to leave. It happened in North America. So many people in CONCACAF region and all of that. So why is it that anytime it happens in Africa, FIFA are like quick to want to protect, which has a huge dent on their own integrity as well. Protect is a very, very good word to use there. Yeah. Uh, because you, you are potentially trying to protect somebody that is going to claim to be a victim. Yeah. I think that uh, FIFA considers Africa a soft target. Okay. And that's why FIFA will have the guts to take over CAF. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When there were financial issues at CAF. Mm. Right? So if FIFA can take over CAF as supposedly the governing body for world football, mm. what stops the governing element in a country that the Kenya Football Federation exists under mm. from doing you know, the oversight function? Needful. I think in 2021, we need to, FIFA needs to do away with this, their authoritarian type approach and start considering working with the countries to ensure that football is on the straight and narrow yeah. in terms of integrity. What FIFA should do is, okay, you have a case of, you have an accusation in place of wrongdoing, corruption, mm-hmm. integrity, you know, fouling the ethics and what have you. Okay, let us work with the res- relevant bodies mm-hmm. That will investigate mm. this body. Obviously, you can't investigate somebody and have the person continue to be in position. It's function. It's like if you commit a fraud in a bank, you'll be excused from that position yeah. whilst the investigation goes on. So, that period, FIFA can put somebody, if they want to be more comfortable, mm. they can have somebody in place. That like they did at CAF anyway. Yes, yes. You can do that with the respective country uh, federations to ensure that then you work with the with the government to ensure that okay, football and its integrity, its autonomy, is guaranteed. Because mm. look, 
Africa remains a peculiar case. Why? Because you can't run football without government yeah. in Africa. Mm. Forget about uh, forget about what the certain uh, countries president will say, football president will say, federal president will say about solvency and what have you. Autonomy. Government money is still the juiciest bread and butter of all. It is the easily accessible one, and obviously does not require much. Uh, is it accounting? I should I, I should call. So FIFA should have an understanding that. By 2021, they should have an understanding of their individual federations mm-hmm. and confederations. Knowing what is peculiar with these federations, Africa cannot exist without government funding. Everybody knows that. But you can't expect me to give you money. And I can't ask you questions. How do you spend my money? The matter at hand is that the young man moved a hundred thousand, uh, over a hundred thousand dollars from the federation account mm-hmm. to his personal account. Okay. That's the trigger. That's what was uh, discovered. The government should be able to ask, mm-hmm. "Why are you moving money to your personal account? It's not your. It's not your. It's, your money. it's not your company. It's not your private money. It's not your personal money." So, FIFA needs to learn to cooperate with respective governments mm. to get the best in terms of uprightness, integrity, and accountability. Mm. But the two words spring to my mind. On the one hand, sovereignty. All countries under FIFA are sovereign countries. They have their own rules, they have their own laws, they have their own way of handling issues. On the other hand, is integrity. FIFA is high since they had the corruption scandal a few years back. FIFA very high on integrity. So sovereignty on one hand, integrity on the other. How can FIFA manage the two effectively? So that they'll be seen as you're really serious about this integrity issue and you're really respecting the sovereignty of individual countries. I, I, I think one, I think one, one should take precedence over the other. Okay. The sovereignty of a country, um, you know, can, can, is something that I don't think any, any nation wants to play uh, where any, any nation any nation will joke with. That it, it, is, it is straightforward. Sovereignty comes first. Now, um, uh, uh, what what Temi said uh, uh, underlines uh, uh, a point I, was, I, I, I will have made um, uh, after after I finish speaking. It is easy while you are talking about about FIFA um, uh, telling people uh, telling governments to let the let the, uh, the accused persons defend themselves. Just follow the money. Look, there are financial auditors everywhere mm. nowadays. Just follow the money. The person doesn't need to defend or not defend anything. Once you follow the money to be clear whether the person is guilty or not, it's simple. So financial auditing, straightforward. That is how FIFA themselves bring their bring their own companies to uh, to heal. That, that's how they catch them. Simple financial auditing will tell you whether this person is, is guilty or not. So all this uh, look once once you can establish that through financial auditing that this person has done this, then we will need to talk, start, start talking about sovereignty. We're talking about about uh, which one is one is superior because look. Money talks. We all know that. And, and there's always a paper trail. Follow the money. I, exactly. Mm. Follow the money. When, when I see people, when I say electronic, follow the money. Also follow, and, and that is what, that, that, and that's what, and you know, the thing is that a lot of African, um, African leaders, whether sports or, or commerce or government, some of them are getting smart by moving money 
knowing how to cover their truth, but a lot of them still do things in a, in a, in a very good way. So they are easy. There are crumbs everywhere. Mm-hmm. Both electronics and paper that you can fold and catch them easy. Mm-hmm. So wh- why are we still here in this modern day? Why are we saying, oh, eh, eh, no, just follow the money. It's simple. All right, Yemi, as we, as we round this up now, um, it's a test case, I think. Oh, yeah. And I think uh, after what happened with FIFA and the black and whole corruption scandal they had over the past few years, FIFA has to step easy on issues like this because they have come out to say integrity is like a, is like a working word for FIFA now. So you cannot be seen to be condoning a lack of integrity in one of your uh, associations under your, under your jurisdiction, so to speak. So um, what do you think in this kind of situation, what do you think is the next thing for the best way for FIFA to go, without appearing to condone or endorse um, unethical practices or corrupt corruption? It's very simple. Just work with the countries, mm. um, because these things have happened in Africa for so many years, mm. where the government wakes up one day and says, "I want to disband the yeah. existing executive committee." I want to put a care committee in place. It's about time you start working closely with the countries. Understand what is peculiar about running mm-hmm. African football. And that is that government funding and football mm-hmm. cannot be separated. Mm-hmm. They go hand in hand. Once you understand that, like what is it, you can follow the money and say, okay, look, government gave you one billion naira. What did you do with it? What did you do with it? If you have nothing to hide. Yeah. You will come out and tell us what what you use the money for. So it's about time they work closely with the respective government and stop uh, grandstanding. Grandstanding, exactly. Mm. Grandstanding, standing in the high house and trying to dictate. No, you can't do that because even in your Switzerland, once you do anything, (laughs) you could, you could, the authorities will. So why are you now trying to be, you know, uh, to to be coy? Mm. Face facts, work with the countries, then they can be progress. Okay, we wait and see how that develops. Um, the Kenyan uh, situation. Nick Mwenda, the president of the Kenyan uh, football Fe- football football Kenya Federation, uh, is out on uh, FKF is out on bail now. But it's a developing story, and we'll see how that pans out as African football tries to navigate its way out of these situations. Um, <laughs> well, back to Nigeria, um, and still on the matter of football. Um, Rivers Angels, Nigerian team, the, the, we're in the final stage of the CAF Women's Champions League. And the final is going to be between a Ghanaian team and a South African team. As Hasaka's ladies are going to play, uh, Mamelodi Sundowns, the, 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 the women's team, of course. They're in the final. And Rivers Angels, Nigerian team was there to represent Nigeria. They got knocked out. They lost their first two games. They, they won their fourth game, a uh, third game, sorry, four nil, but they got knocked out. It was too little, too late. And um, I think it underlines, and I think we've had this coming, especially in the past few months, two incidents. Rivers Angels went for this qualifying series to Ghana and um, they lost in the final to these Hasaka's ladies who are getting into the final. And then, of course, when we had the Aisha Buhari Cup in Lagos, South Africa came here and defeated Nigeria 3-0, 3-2, was it? Well, they led 3-0 at some point. Or 4-2, sorry. They let 3 nil at some point. They eventually won that game 4-2 and all of that. And we said on this podcast that uh, the gap 
had clothes. <laughs> we didn't know the gap had disappeared. <laughs> as if more or less even overtaking us. You know, so, but it, it's very worrisome that a Nigerian team, we've started female football in Nigeria, women's football in Nigeria, sorry. I think in the late 70s or early 80s, if I'm not mistaken, we had almost a, I think apart from Ghana, we had almost a 15, 20 year lead on the South Africans, the Moroccos and all of that. The Caf Women's Champions League, something caught my eye this morning. They came up with a team of the tournament group stage. And not a single Rivers Angels player made the team. There were three from Hasakas and Mamelodi Sundowns and Malabo Kings. Well, I don't know why they call the women's team Malabo Kings. Malabo Kings of Equatorial Guinea. One came from F.A.R. Rabat of Morocco. And the final person came from Wad Meglia, the host team, the Egyptian team. Isn't it instructive that not a single player from Rivers Angels made that? And doesn't that underline our affair on this podcast for the past few months? The standards are going down and we are not doing anything about it. It is clear that we need to do much more than just pay lip service to women's football in Nigeria. Like you mentioned, we've been talking about this for years, even on our, on our radio program, yeah. that, 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 that that gap was closing and it will soon disappear. Now it has. I remember... Um, I think it was after the, after the, uh, after the, after the six or seven, I think it was when, when Nigeria lost, uh, to South Africa in, uh, uh, in Equatorial Guinea. Yeah. When, when, uh, when, um, uh, this former coach of Fimba was the coach. And, Kadiri Kana. Kadiri Kana. That it's not just, it's not just that, like Nigeria lost because because the girls were not well prepared. It is that we have not changed the templates that we came into women's football with in the Nigeria we are dominating the continent. Even at that time, as that time, on 90 minutes, I remember us telling that look, the the, the, the Falcons are superior to the to the other, other teams because of the strength of the girls, and that once those other teams also once they realize that they will start coming with power play too, and once they do that, the gap will have closed because we are the most skillful than they are. And then we said, okay, now, the, now these people are strong. As, as they are strong as the Falcons. But you have the numbers. If you have uh, 20 people that can play women's football, and we have 1,000, and you have to pick 12, the odds are that I'll pick a better 12 than your 12 because you are, you are limited and have, mm. the, have the numbers. Mm. But the South Africa, like we realized, they expanded their dragnets, they cut up their country into zones, started digging for talent. We are seeing the results. Ghana too are doing the same thing. Now they have gone a step further and they have paid attention to not just the grassroots, they are they have organized a league or they have organized leagues that are better than ours. Now remember that the first time we played, played against a Moroccan team, um uh, 1998, the first uh, African Women's Championship, I think it was seven or eight zero that factions that the factions I, I would I would I would never have dreamt at that time that a Moroccan player we use our girls to shine. Streak <laughs> <laughs> against the passing girls. So, as as much as we talk about the logistics of oh, they travel late, oh, they go there late, oh, it was uh, the same that did that mean. Let us also understand that it's a mixture of everything. Even our young women that play football now, all of them, 
I don't think most come into the game looking to just play and have fun like other people do because they are interested. It is a way out of poverty. Yeah. Everybody wants to get to a club, play for Falcons, and go and travel abroad and make money to help their family. It is not about passion. Most people, most other people, yes, that 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 other or the, or the, or the other underlying reasons. But first things first, the first love the game. You could see from the from the that those other teams play that they are dedicated to their art and they enjoy playing football. Our girls, apart from the coaching and the, you could see from the body language that hey, we are just here to show that we win, so we can be, we can be, and that's that's another thing they do. We always underline to our teams when they travel, go and win and get paid, mm. go and win and get paid, and so the tension builds up from even before before they leave these shows because they are thinking about the reward at the end of it. They are not thinking about the art, for, and it's for everybody around the team, the coaches. The officials, the players. It's always, it's always about the reward at the end of it. It's nothing about glory to the fatherland. Nothing about excelling because it is what you do when you are doing something. Listen, when you start changing the matters slowly from the, from, from, from the grassroots and doing the right thing, let uh, women and boys know that when you are playing, when, when you are doing something, first you've got to have the passion for it. You should be able to do your job. Wake up and do your job. Knowing that you don't, you don't get paid, but you are because of you enjoy doing it. If that if that is taken away from anything, it will show in your in your, in your, in your, in your final output. That's what you have seen. The stem is guilty. The nation is guilty, and the players are guilty. And it's a crying shame that. And you know, did you remember that? I think it was ten or twelve years ago. That I was saying, look, right now we have the best teams on the continent. Let us organize some, invite them <laughs> unofficially and beat them up already before. Mm. And later, whether they, whether they recognize or not, they can't be said we've won. Their, now we, are, we I they, remember they are, that we, we said they have, and that's something that our government will have done. We crossed our hands. Now they have come. They have created the tournament, invited us back, and, and, and sent us home in in shame. So we wasted resources, uh, wasted opportunities, and here we are. All is not lost there too, but I think the way back is longer than many people realize mm. because South Africa now that one in Lagos was convincing. Now they have seen. That because I, I don't think they do that. Even when Falcons gather, that, that we, we have seen the Falcons. Have seen, we have seen that it's not a matter of getting the foreign code. It's a matter of overhauling the system. And so, I want to see if we win the next African West Championship. I don't think we are going to win it. I may be wrong, but I'm, I'm going on record here to say, saying that I don't think we are going to win the next African. Maybe when that happens, when we realize that it's not about right. In the past, we have lost it and we have managed to recover by doing a, 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 a black abra. I don't think it will happen again. If you don't win the next one, it might take us years again before we are sending the plume of, of, um, of, um, of, um, of, of the kings or queens of African women's soccer. That's my take on this. Hmm. Very, very instructive. <laughs> Yemi, um, Hasaka's ladies are playing my melody sundown. It's instructive. We lost to Hasaka's ladies. We lost to South Africa. So it's instructive that, and they are the ones playing the final. And that, that probably summarizes what we've been trying to say. They have caught up, not only caught up, they are a bit ahead of us, um, right now. And, um, but it was talking about whether we win. 
I'm not even sure we are, we are qualifying. <laughs> we are playing Cote d'Ivoire. I think it was Cote d'Ivoire that knocked us out of the Olympics. Olympics if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yeah. And so, oh, that, that's, that's true. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. True. So, <laughs> we have to qualify first. <laughs> and um, this one that I think she's out for a couple of months. So, But let's leave all of that. My, this, taking a holistic view now, somebody would now come and say, I have a friend who's always saying that you are always harassing the NFF. <laughs> I think what is happening across board is symptomatic of the fact that in Nigerian football, it thinks it, it, it seems to me that everything revolves around the Super League. Yeah, and we are taking our eye off the ball as far as all the other competitions, all the other Bad teams, teams, eighth grade women's team are concerned. It's always about go to the World Cup, go to the World Cup, go to the World Cup. We've been talking about. The body has been talking particularly about coaching in the women's game yeah. for years. Yeah. We've been talking about the league and how bad the league has been. Yes. And how we, it looks like we're just having the league for the sake of having the league and all of that. You know, why is it that some of us who are not <laughs> in the corridors of administration <laughs> can see so many things ahead? Now, we're not praising ourselves now, but we're, it's painful because if there is anything that happens negatively in this industry, it affects us as well because this is where we draw a livelihood from. If Nigerian football, if Nigerian sports does well across board, it's more money for us. So, but why is it that we can see certain things and the administrators just don't see this issue happening in women's football? The handwriting has been on the wall for years. Uh, I think we were talking earlier. I think of of a uh, mm. pure table manners. Yeah, <laughs> so you can't. Uh, <laughs> you can't disrupt the meal. Wash her. Oh, Lord. <laughs> it's bad manners to complain when you're eating. Or to talk when you're eating. Feasting. <laughs> um, we have a president of the Super Eagles, not president of the Nigerian Football Federation. Mm. It's very clear. Um, I remember, it was like last year or two years ago, uh, I was on a radio show that had Aisha Faludi as mm. a guest. I think she called it. Aisha Faludi for the record is, is head the president of the, of the, head of the, of the Nigerian, Nigerian Women's Football League. League. And I asked her a question. I said, how much are we looking to devote to women's football over the next five years? So, okay, so maybe five years is too much because I know that in Nigeria we, we always plan like very short term. Mm. Okay, how long are we, how much are we planning to devote to women's football Two, three years. For one year. I even said one year. Because I said, look, South Africa is putting millions of runs into this league through uh, uh, South African Airways, through uh, the SABB and the likes and what have you. How much are we looking to dedicate to women's football? She couldn't give me an answer. Mm. I said, okay, maybe women's football is too broad. The league that you had, that you run. She couldn't give me an answer. What that told me is that there's a haphazard approach to this thing. No concrete plan. There's no well-thought-through plan or formula to get us from point A to point B. So we're just, like you said, just playing the league for the fun of it. Everybody said, 
I saw one of the goals the Moroccan scored against us. God. I saw you screaming. When you saw the <laughs> I saw, goal. Yeah, I saw you screaming. I was like, what in God's name is this? Rivers Angels was an embarrassment to Nigeria football as a whole. With all due respect to them. But it was an embarrassment. And it's symptomatic of the fact that if you don't plan, you will definitely fail. This our wuru to the answer. You have to show you're working. These guys over time have been showing they're working. They've they mentioned the time they beat us in the Equatorial game. It's been long coming. And you can they be saying it. They've been working. Jesus Ellis has been with South Africa yeah. for years. We've 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 stole a match on the rest of Africa for so long yeah. that we probably got comfortable. Like I was going to say, did we get complacent? Of course we did. Mm. We thought that, look, like it or not. We just turn up and we beat everybody. Exactly. We have mm. the talent pool. Like we have the talents. There's no doubt. But there's a stage you get to in football development. Talent is not enough. Talent is not enough. Mm. We've said it here. The NFF has not done anything about coaching generally since 2017. And then when you come and bring initiatives in that direction, they frustrate you. What are we doing with respect to youth development? At all levels, whether female, whether male, you know, men or women, at all levels, what are we? All you hear is, like you said, all the monies you hear in Nigerian football is what? Super Eagles. Super Eagles sponsorship. It's super, always Super Eagles specific. You can't tell me, oh, we're going to spend a billion naira on women's football. And this is how we're going to spend it. We're going to dedicate X amount into infrastructure. We're going to dedicate X amount into scouting. What we do in Nigeria is once the Falconers or the Flamingos are about to play, they send one coach to Abuja and he will send word around. Mm -hmm. A thousand girls will show up for screening in 2021. We're still doing screening as if we're an amateur. That's what Mm -hmm. amateurs do. They screen. Mm -hmm. Whereas, this day and age, you have scouts all over the country, in countries that have sense, that have a sense of purpose, scouting, looking for the best players at age grade level, and then working their way up. Those guys will come to a position and then you start working on them. That is what the likes of South Africa, Ghana, like we've mentioned, have been doing. That's why he mm. just steamrolled us and passed us by. Buddy, so, um, they may not listen to us, but <laughs> let's make suggestions. What can we do now at this point to revitalize and resuscitate the women's game in Nigeria? What concrete steps can we take? At least let's suggest to them. We, we have criticized, but let's now prefer possible solutions. Whether they take it or not, we know we have done our bit. What can we do? What concrete steps can we take to arrest this line? It, it, it's, it's not it's not rocket science. We need to go back to remember that every time we talk about Nigerian sports, mm-hmm. we, we say that look, one, one of the biggest losses that Nigerian sports suffered was the loss of school sports. Mm. School sports was avenue where you discover talents at their youngest raw age, and you nurture them through the ranks. It's the same thing. 
But in this case, because we know that a lot of um, a, 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 a lot of parents don't want their girls to play, their young, the young women to play football. Yeah, we've got to do what South Africa did: cover up each state or each each zone of, mm-hmm. of the country into different areas and start a sweep. And that sweep is not just it, it, that sweep will not be random. We organize, we organize a, a, a tournament. That will that will see teams graduate from their village or towns or cities and go down to the state level. And this, I'm talking about some, something that is that is different from the from, from the national league. Mm. And it doesn't have to cost money. They don't have to travel. They, 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 they don't. They, they don't have to travel long distances. You know, I know that if you organize something with this really local government, mm. you know, Sulele is quite big. No, I'm not about. I'm not talking about the whole of Lagos. Sulele, Agege. I'm sure there are women's teams there that are just because if you go to the stadium or national stadium on any day, you see a lot of young women coming to train. And, and again, the only thing they want to do is get to clubs. Organize, organize community. And I know that it will take time. It's not something that will do overnight. But you've got to start thinking from somewhere. That's one. Secondly, we want to pay attention to this league. The league as it is, we have seen, I think there's a time that we are seeing accidents because of because some people are traveling uh, overnight trying to save money, and the, the, some were attacked. We saw cases of accidents. Don't just like the men seem like we are saying Nigeria is big. Don't make us play a national league that is centralized. It is difficult. Cut it up. Cut it up. Let people play in zones and then let those who qualify meet at a higher level. You know. Create avenue where competition will be will, will be will be ext- extend, extensive and extended. You can't you can't play you can't play a, a ten game or twelve game league and, and and think that you have done the best. First, you have not tried and tested the player. Secondly, they have they have, they have many months where they do nothing. Mm. And then DG, you always say that they are no sponsors. How can they be sponsors when you stop the league and start it arbitrarily? No plan. You know. One of the reasons why our teams don't get a sponsorship from airlines is because we want to impose our time on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you have a calendar that is working on track, that you look, if you block 11th or 11, between 11th and 13th, 11th and 12th, 11th and 13th of a month, being a weekend, Friday to Sunday, a team will travel. So that they woke up and like, oh, you have blocked it, they are not selling tickets and then you are not good, you are not good because somebody has cancelled the, because the, the, the decision has been cancelled and the decision has not started. So they lose money, they, all people are coordinated. You must be, you also must be coordinated. Yeah. That is why a calendar never is never in sync with that of of, of car. The, the, the only the only calendar that we are in sync, sync with is that of FIFA. Mm. Go and check it. And it's because of our World Cup ambition. Okay, buddy. Uh, we, and we, so that's mm. why our logistics are wrong. So we, we look, it's a complete overhaul of the system. We can't. There's no shortcut. None at all. You can't run away from the fact that um, we have to tear everything up. And start from scratch. That's exactly what um, Body Simple. is saying. That's what Body is saying, and hopefully we will have the um, wherewithal or the uh, conviction to be able to do that. Let's mm-hmm. uh, fail to qualify for our conference. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, I've always felt that what the Falcons have done for women's football in Nigeria, women's football really, if we put the proper value propositions, in oh place, yes, they shouldn't be struggling for sports. at all. At there all. are enough. Women only, and then in this day and age yeah. of gender inclusivity and all that is happening around women's football, if you put a proper value proposition in place, 
women's football should not be having At too all. many sponsorship issues. So, on that note, we leave that. Uh, hopefully, um, people who we used to dominate have become serious rivals now. Anytime we want to play Ghanaian team, national club level, mm. we just managed to get past Ghana in the uh, qualifiers. In qualifiers. Uh, anytime we play any South African team now, palpitations. We, we, <laughs> we used to be able to think that we'll stream over the um, South African. So they have, become, they have become key rivals to us. So talking about rivalry, and one rivalry that is defining sports this season is in Formula One. At the start of the season, we brought OC here, a radio presenter who is very, very passionate about Formula One. We decided not to bring him here today. Reason, I'll bring him at the end of the season because he has a huge bias and we want to manage the bias. <laughs> it's been one, but he predicted quite rightly at the start of the season, which we all agree that it's going to be quite a season. And I think we underestimated the kind of season it will be, buddy. It's been one, like they say in the old grammar, one hell of a season in Formula 1. The intensity of the rivalry between Mercedes and Red Bull, and of course the main protagonist was Hamilton and Max Verstappen, various crashes, all kinds of incidents epitomized by <laughs> the suspicion and the penalties and the recriminations that happened at Interlagos at the weekend. As I'm, I'm sure from Laon's sponsorship, I'm sorry, support base has probably increased manyfold over the course of this season. So, buddy, what do you make of What's happening in Formula 1? With three races to go, I think it is Qatar, uh, Abu Dhabi, and Saudi Arabia, something like that. Three races to go. Is evenly is excitingly poised. Um, probably if Lewis Hamilton had not won in Sao Paulo, it would have been game over. Mm-hmm. But he overcame all kinds of adversity, and people have said that his win at Interlagos probably is one of his finest, if not his finest win. So what, what do you make of what's happening in Formula 1? Uh, this season so far. I also know that you are a big fan of Lewis Hamilton, but I know you, as a trade journalist, you manage your own bias. <laughs> you know what? I, I yeah, I I I like uh, Lewis Hamilton, um, but I have never watched Formula One as closely as I have this season mm. for two reasons. First, when I listen to see. Uh, before uh, uh, before the start of the season, and did this analysis of of the two um, of, of the two cars. In fact, for, for you to understand that the, the, uh, my bias is not towards anybody. For the first time, I'm playing fantasy Formula One, mm. and my main driver, my main driver is Vesta, Max Verstappen. Okay, that's, that's interesting. My main driver because I, I because I felt that the, his car had a slight advantage. Yes, Hamilton was of recent and then. Uh, and uh, Verstappen came into his own, but I think the last race is uh, in Sao Paulo. I think, yeah, I think something changed. So, I think something has changed. Something changed. Remember, after that crash, I read an article where someone said that so in some races that, Vest- that Verstappen won, Hamilton did not take any risk. Verstappen was the aggressor, Hamilton would just concede. At the last minute, mm. but at that crash, I mean, I mean, decided, look up at us, bully Yakuya. It was the <laughs> you know, we died there, and then it, it, we ended up, we died here, and then it turned in the crash. And the, when Amelia Nova took him in this last race 
it was it was pure genius driving. Yeah. And also the speed, I think there's a slight change in the speed of Hamilton because his speed down the streets was is overtaking people. It was it was scary mm. to go from tenth to first. It's not mean feet. In fact, the man he raised like uh, like like uh, five or six places. And to go from twentieth in the sprint qualifying to fifth. Yes, to fit. It is scary. So I think something has changed. I think, look, this is the fourth quarter of basketball. And this one, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, I, like, I like that analogy. And this is that you look out for. I like that this analogy. Is what, those races are going to be fire. And I pray that there are no crashes. Yes. <laughs> because both we, we know that both of them now, both of them want it. I mean, take and taste it. It's a disastrous of Vesta pain. To lose the lead that is is one hundred and eighty. Look, it's mm-hmm. like it was starting for him until this until this one. Yeah. So I think I think both of them want it, but both of them want it badly. Now it's not just the fan base that has that has got it because now there, there's a lot of more discussion about their on social media. Yeah. But also I think the sponsors will be licking their lips. Yes. As yes. what is unfolding before them, mm. because now we know that a, a rivalry of sorts. Which has been building up as it's climaxing this season, and at least the next two, three years until I mention the test the to retire or not, it's going to be these two people plus some other young young drivers that are coming up. So I think kudos to kudos to uh, to the two of them that elevated F1 to, to another level, and we are enjoying the show. Well, yeah, I me, mean, but they but they made um, the point about crashes. Um, I've always been afraid. At the start of this, my biggest fear was. I hope these two don't hurt themselves. And I hope something terrible doesn't happen. There's three races to go. It looks like the gloves are off now, especially oh, what yes. happened at Interlagos. So hopefully, uh, because uh, we've had a lot of incidents. Emilia Romano Grand Prix, Verstappen bumped Hamilton off track. Spanish Grand Prix, Max wrestled uh, lead off Lewis again. British Grand Prix, um, high-speed crash for which Hamilton was penalized. And at the Thailand Grand Prix, both drivers crashed down. Verstappen was a judge, the offender. But thankfully, there's not been any major incident in terms of anybody getting hurt and all of that. We hope it can. It does look like, I think from now on, got the two of them. Maybe they didn't announce, got the two of yeah. them on the table and spoke to them and all of that. We don't want anything terrible happening. I think they've pulled down. Be this last race, I saw Hamilton pull out of an overtake when it was blocked. And, um, I don't think Hamilton would have Done pulled out of that before, but eventually, he made the overtake and all of that. But he said something has changed. This, the, the pace and the power of Mercedes in the last race must worry, uh, must worry, uh, and reverse tapping. Because if you're demoted to 20th for the spring qualifying end of fifth, I, at fifth, you take up a five point, uh, a five point penalty, a five Second place grid penalty, and then you go to 10th. And from 10th, you actually decimate the field and finish first. You know, do you think that, well, they, they took a new entry before that. Do you think that Verstappen and Red Bull might decide, okay, maybe we should take a new engine to give us because the power that Mercedes showed this last race has to have Red Bull worried. So what happened after the race? Mm. Verstappen going to check what's going here. What, what was this guy on? Mm. You know, what's this car on? Um, I think during the course of the season, you're allowed to make certain adjustments. Uh, I think Red Bull would probably be considering making those adjustments. But at the same time, 
they are still in pole position. Yeah. Um, as it is right now, in fact, left to Verstappen, you would rather put a their cash <laughs> than, than Hamilton winning any race. And with three races to go, all Verstappen needs to do is win one race. In fact, probably win the next race. Once he wins the next race, it changes the entire dynamic. That but if Hamilton wins, wins the next race, then we'll the probably down to is, single figures. Oh, yes. Single digit points lead. There's 78 points to, to fight to for. Fight. Um, that's excluding, yeah, that's plus the extra points mm, for yeah. uh, fastest lap. Fastest lap, yeah. Now, as they are, if Hamilton wins all the races, he can get tied on points. Mm. But there will be a tiebreaker, and at that tiebreaker, Verstappen is leading. Now, the whole idea is to ensure that he keeps the pressure on Verstappen. And that can only happen if he wins the next race. That's mm. Hamilton. Like I said, for Verstappen, the worst that can happen is to scatter everything. <laughs> Let both of us... And, and you could see that he was ready to do that because the momentum with which Lewis was coming mm. at Interlagos, those two times where he had to veer him off the track and the first time Lewis passed him and he got back in front of him, could have led to crashes. If not, yeah. that Lewis himself seems to have become a little bit more cautious. And I think he realized that there's enough time I'll still, I will still get you. What happened. Yeah. So, that is the point they are in at the moment. This rivalry and the state that is at the moment is really good for the sport. Yeah. I won't be surprised if the release figures that are astronomical Must for be. next season. Must be. Well, despite whoever wins. I know with the new ownership, they wanted younger people to love the sport. I'm, I'm sure they've achieved all Oh, with that. Max. With Max. And doing yeah. this good, of mm. course. They have, probably have more but newer if, viewers. Let me ask um, a psychological question now. Talking from the perspective of Red Bull and Max Verstappen. And this is a question. Um, Red Max Verstappen has won nine races this season. Lewis Hamilton has won only six. Ordinarily, you will expect the gap to be much more. But the gap is just 14 points. And um, the next race, I believe, is crucial. You know, at times in sport, they tell you, especially Max Verstappen has not won a world title before. Uh, Lewis Hamilton has seven. So there's something to come for experience. At times they tell you the pressure of seeing the finishing line ahead of you and getting to that finishing line, if you cannot manage that pressure, it might be negative. What am I trying to say? Um, Verstappen has led almost all through the season. Apart after before this race at Interlagos, they were odds on to win it. It was to cruise. But now, like you said, something has changed. Do you feel that Max and Red Bull have the maturity to navigate? Or do you feel that and navigate themselves to a title they are still favorites to win? Or do you feel that Mercedes and uh, Lewis Hamilton can smell blood and they feel that, hey, this is time to rev it to the floorboard and put them under immense pressure. First off, we have to wait and see how Red Bull reacts. Okay. Because remember that, remember that of the two teams, I think Mercedes has, Mercedes have the better, they have the better team. I mean, Botas and Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Mm. If Botas, if Botas cooperates, 
And Mercedes decides that let's give Hamilton a shot at this title and they decide to tag team on the track against Verstappen. I fear that mad, mad, the Mad Max we think is, uh, has gone to sleep will show up again. Mad Max is that driver that will force you or cause a crash on the track because it feels that, hey, the toy is mine. Or this toy should be mine. And if, if you can't give it to me, I'm, I'm going to break it. I feel like the pressure is more of Verstappen. Hamilton has been here before. Hamilton is the better driver. I will stand on that any day. And because Hamilton is a better driver, Hamilton will know. I feel, I, I feel Hamilton has, in, in, I think he now has a measure of Verstappen of what you to expect. We also saw that coming to play. In the races that Verstappen won, he had a better car. Mm. I think I think the two cars are now at par, and we saw what that translate, translated to. So I feel that Hamilton has a better chance of winning, unless something changes in the next race, or we see something that has. Or we look into the next race and say, "Oh, this is that, that the, the, the last race we saw that, that shows that the, the last race we saw was just a one-off." But if something has changed, like we, like like we suspect, I feel Hamilton has a better chance. He's a, he's a better driver. He has a car that now matches. He's been there before, and he's more calmer than Verstappen. Verstappen, like you said, he's never won before, mm. and I think that makes him dangerous. His team will put pressure on him because they want to win, yeah. and that makes it that, that makes him doubly more so because he, 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 he will have his own demons and that of his team to contend with. So Vesper has been there before. They know the they, they know the, uh, the they, they know the place to call, and they have a driver if you complete that can help Hamilton over the line in both us. Mm. And yeah, I mean the, the, the rivalry has gone into what I call a three-layered rivalry now. One layer you have the teams, uh, Mercedes and Red Bull. The second layer you have the drivers, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. There is another layer, the team principles. So to Wolf. And Max Horner, <laughs> you know, saying things back and forth and all of that. While is the rivalry is good for the sport, is there a dark side to this rivalry that we've seen that while this is good for the sport, they have to be careful not to cross a particular line that will veer into um, a dark space which the sport should not get into. Rivalry has to be managed. It has to be kept up there. But I've seen a few instances where there was a lot of acidity and negativity yeah. and that line needs not be crossed. Especially the halo crash. Yes, yes, the halo crash that... Um, the that halo, halo crash mm. probably was uh, the and most the reaction type, mm. time in the season mm. because what happened could have been worse. Yeah, could have been, yes. And whilst both are vying for it, you expected there will be a lot of mind games. Mm. The Mercedes will say things that they know would, you know, shake Red Bull. Red Bull would put together some acts that would definitely rattle Mercedes. I'm sure after that Halo incident, the, the FIA must have called for participants. Mm-hmm. Guys, we realize how important it is to win the championship and the race that you guys are both on. But it is only good for the sport if we have both of you here with us. And healthy. Healthy and driving at the level that you are driving. 
So it's important that the FIA finds a way to control it. But you see, Hamilton has been here several times, mm. right? So he probably looks at Max and feels Max is probably the closest thing to him yeah. as it is. But that gap is still quite wide in terms of experience and titles won and what have you. So he probably will not see that rivalry as being as intense as those of us watching it might be because like seven titles to zero. Come on. Young man, you still have a lot of ground to cover. Okay, we wait and see. So let me put you guys on the spot now, buddy. I feel that <laughs> Red Bull and Max Verstappen are still the favorites ever so slightly. Will they keep their nerve or do you see something changing between now and the end of the season? Who's yeah, winning right, it? Right, right now, my money is on right now, my money is on my team. <laughs> All right, that's interesting. Hear me? Who's your money on? Verstappen. Verstappen. I like that. So we have Red Bull on one side here, Mercedes on the other side. I here. just feel that um, I'm not sure Lewis will to win all three at, at one Let stretch. me say this. I think whoever wins the next race wins the title. That's my view. I think... Did you, I, did, I, 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 I agree with you. Mm. So look, right now, as I'm sitting here, my money is, my money is on Hamilton. I feel that whoever wins the next race, because if Red Bull wins it, if Max Verstappen wins it, I think the gap becomes almost insurmountable with two races to go. But if Hamilton wins it, the pressure oh, yes. might lead to a crack. That's my own view. So let's wait and see what happens. But definitely it's been a fantastic year for uh, Formula 1. This is what the new owners wanted. They've gotten it. We pray that it doesn't cross over to a, a dark side where we have something major happen. These are two fantastic sportsmen who are going for it, driving very well. It's a rivalry that the sport needs and we have it. Who is going to win it? We have to wait and see. Hopefully by the time we have the next podcast, uh, there will have been another race. So probably we'll know um, who will be in the driving seat at that point. But one thing is for sure, for all fans of Formula 1, strapping. It's going to be one hell of a ride between now and the end of the season. On that note, we end Sports 360 Podcast for this Thursday. We'd like to thank you for joining us. Sports 360 Pod is where you can catch us on Instagram. Thank you, buddy, from Dallas. Thank you, Yemi, from Lagos, thank Nigeria. You. And thanks for always uh, downloading the podcast and listening. Um, we'll see you another time next week. Bye-bye.